This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is October 15th, 2020. This week, Paris, London, Hong Kong, New York. Sounds like a great post-pandemic vacation, but it's also a set of cities where corporate office space has generated strong capital growth for real estate investors. Of course, many of the workers at those companies have been home for a while, and it's unclear just how many will come back or when. To assess the effects that COVID has had on these global gateway cities, we welcome back MSCI's global head of real estate solutions research, Will Robson. Will, welcome back to the program. We're going to have to reserve a chair for you if this, if this keeps up. We love having you back so often. Thanks, Adam. It's good to be here. Thanks. So let's start today by defining terms, specifically global gateway cities, which is our topic. What do we mean when we talk about these types of cities and why is this important for real estate investors? Global gateway cities, there's there's no one kind of perfect definition of them, um, but they tend to be the, the biggest, most globally connected cities um, in the world. So the likes of London, New York, Paris, Tokyo. They're kind of like the the super cities that attract a lot of companies to locate there and a lot of investment capital. And from what I was reading in some of the research, these cities became even more important following the 2008 financial crisis. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, I think um, in the recovery since the financial crisis, you've had a lot of capital flow into real estate as an asset class more generally and also just generally over the last 10 20 years institutions that invest in real estate have been doing so more internationally and they've been eroding their kind of home bias in their portfolios and when you do that you tend to go to the kind of most familiar biggest cities and and so those kind of cities tend to be at the top of the list they've had a a long run of good performance and, and have attracted a lot of institutional investment capital has this run of performance been steady? That is, do these types of investments, where have they fallen over the last 10 years or so in terms of volatility? If you look for a longer time series, uh, kind of through the financial crisis, in some markets, we can go all the way, way back to the early 1980s. These cities tend to perform pretty strongly. They have um, pretty high returns, mainly driven by capital growth. The income returns tend to be a bit lower in these kinds of cities uh, because they, they're generally expensive and they attract a lot of capital and investors are willing to pay for the, the growth expectations that are in, in those cities. Because a lot of the return is coming from capital growth, capital growth is tends to be more volatile than income returns. Um, and so in general, they, they tend to be more volatile in the, the absolute returns. If you think these cities are attracting capital from all around the world, so the relative pricing of one city versus an, another uh, plays into that volatility a little bit. Also, these cities tend to be very large and dense. So the, the natural kind of rental growth cycles in a city like London or, or New York, the strength of the rental growth signal to developers to make it worth kind of knocking down or refurbishing a big office tower um, has to be pretty strong. 
But once you start doing that activity, it takes some time to fulfill that. And therefore, you have these kind of overshooting uh, trends in, in rental growth. So both from the capital market side and the, the real estate fundamentals, these, these markets tend to swing more um, violently in performance than um, kind of lower secondary tier city markets with higher income returns. And that idea of assessing the situation is like so much gotten harder since covid working from home. There's been a lot of research lately. I know uh, MSCI did some did some polling as well as I saw this week in The Economist some surveys referencing, yes, there were differences when they asked people in the U.S. and European workers, how do you feel about returning to the office on a regular basis? There were differences at the extreme, but about 20% of these workers in the U.S. and Europe both said that they expect to work from home about one or two days per week once this pandemic is behind us. Referencing the polling that MSCI did, does that did that align with what you saw or were there differences? I think broadly aligns. Um, so this poll we did was just at one of our webinars um, uh, over the summer. And a lot of these people were kind of from the real estate investment uh, market. So if, if anything, if there was any bias in this kind of sample, you'd expect them to be supporting the existence, um, future existence of offices. But even within that sample, a good chunk, say 75% uh, of the audience, were looking for some kind of hybrid solution of uh, returning to the office one or two or three or four days a week. There was only 17% of that audience that uh, wanted to return to the office full time. And as you said, if anything, you would think the bias in this group would be toward returning, if for no other reason, their own self-interest. Yeah, to support their industry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So turning turning back to that, turning back to these investors, we talked before about the income growth within these cities, the question of whether they were, for lack of a better term, built on a solid foundation, right? Were the fundamentals sound. And I believe that's where your latest research started. What specifically were you looking to discover, though? Well, we've had a number of client conversations over the last few weeks, uh, and uh, a few questions have come up around what's driven office demand um, or, or performance uh, for the last 10 years. Um, because these global gateway cities, uh, they've outperformed, but they, they seem to have attracted the bulk of uh, investment capital over that time as well. And so uh, a couple of clients were asking us, well, how much of that outperformance was driven by, and we found that uh, generally, um, actually the, the outperformance of these cities was justified. There was, there was a fair amount of uh, yield impact, so the, the kind of yield compression, but also a significant amount of income growth impact uh, in these cities and not so much uh, in the, the second tier cities. So on a relative basis, these global gateway cities seem to have kind of justified their, their dominance over the last 10 years or so. So even if it truly was the fundamentals driving the growth, there's still the issue that we see across asset classes that after a while, as investors converge or their money converges, valuations rise. Are we seeing any of that in these cities? Um, yeah, I think you have seen that. And actually, in terms of investors' response to that, um, we, if you kind of focus in on the US, uh, we looked at 
kind of investment activity across these different kinds of cities. So we looked at kind of the top five cities and then the next 15 and then the rest uh, to look at purchase activity, purchase expenditure. And for two or three years, there has been a kind of a rising kind of trend away from the global gateways to, well, not away from the global gateways, but a more emphasis on the secondary cities. And that might be a response to the kind of high pricing that you're you're seeing in these global gateway cities. If a lot of the capital flowing into a real estate markets since the financial crisis, a lot of that's been driven by a search for yield as, as yields kind of come down generally. And most so in those um, global gateway cities, that search for yield might be kind of spreading further, uh, kind of further down the kind of tiered list of cities to find that yield. I suppose all the questions investors are asking themselves at the moment is to what extent COVID could be changing those trends or accelerating those trends um, and disrupting kind of the, the, the strong income growth potential that we've typically seen in those cities in the past. Right. That is, of course, the, the logical next question. Is it too soon to tell or have we seen some of the, the money shifting to these secondary cities? Um, I think we, we've seen that trend tentatively before COVID. Uh, I think it's too early to tell whether COVID is accelerating that trend or not. If you think about the real estate markets more generally outside of office, the, the most severe impacts on returns and valuations have been in those kind of property types where they really felt that fundamental impact of um, lockdowns and social distancing. So hotels where there isn't a long lease. You basically, the income kind of varies day by day be, depending on the occupancy. Those have been the, the worst impacted. Um, retail, where the kind of value generation of the retail business is driven out of the shops in the main. Uh, those have been impacted very severely, um, where although there is a lease agreement in place, many of those retailers just simply been unable to pay that rent and have either just not pay the rent or they've agreed with their landlords to kind of defer that in some way. When you think about office markets, there's a much more diverse uh, range of office occupants. And so many more companies that have been able to kind of exist and and kind of go about their business with their employees working from home. But the kind of big sort of questions around how much office space do I need as a corporate occupier, those questions are being asked at the moment. But I think the impact of those decisions you won't see for some time as the corporate occupiers come towards the end of their leasing agreements and choose whether or not to renew or to move to different space or different kinds of space. Um, it's just going to take more time for those decisions that are being made at the moment to flow through into actual surrenders of leases or different leasing decisions and therefore into cash flows and therefore into returns. So if I recall correctly, Will, you were working from home most of the time, even before the pandemic. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I wouldn't say most of the time, but a good chunk of the time. Yeah, two days a week. So let me ask you, given the surveys we were talking about earlier, have you changed your mind about where you'll work post-pandemic? Um, I've really enjoyed working at home and being kind of closer to the family uh, and being more involved. But I really am starting to miss the kind of social interaction of the office and just the change of scenery rather than being kind of stuck in one room. So I reckon ideally I'd like to go back to the office two days a week. Um, I've got a long commute, so maybe stay stay one day, one night, uh, and, and have that balance there. That's all for this week. 
Our thanks to Will and to all of you for joining us. Remember, it takes just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or share with a friend. Until next week, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.